From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. At the heart of this, one of the things we're saying is that this program really is looks like it's about becoming um, a wisdom leader. And when you're a wisdom leader, it's about an, your ability to adapt to the changing issues that are going to affect you in your life, your own health, where you live, what's going on with your family, your work. There's, there's a lot of letting go that begins to happen at this stage of life. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Today we're happy to welcome back John J. Fontana. Longtime listeners will remember that back in 2018, we talked to John Fontana in our episode entitled From Warriors to Elders. He's the co-director of the recently formed Ignatian Legacy Leaders Fellowship Program housed at the Institute for Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Now, they have just finished their first cohort with students going internationally, and they were delayed a little bit by the pandemic. We're going to be getting into all of that. But before we do, John Fontana, it's wonderful to welcome you back to Things Not Seen. David, it's a delight to not only be back, but to be back with you. Well, and when we last were talking about your program, it had just gotten off the ground. And we were looking into the future and thinking about what it would look like when it actually happened. For the purpose of just refreshing my listeners' memories, can you give us just a few sentences about what the program is trying to do and what its goals are? Yes, David. Let me try something out. We're just playing with having done a year program that we did in 25 months because of the pandemic. We're, we're now starting to think about uh, mission statements that kind of pull stuff together in terms of what we experienced because the first group was really kind of a pilot. And so let me read you just something fast in terms of the mission of the Ignatian Legacy Fellows. The Ignatian Legacy Fellows program is a year-long accompaniment program for those facing retirement or rewirement and who are seeking to discover or rediscover a direction and sense of purpose for the next chapter of their lives. Through the Ignatian spiritual practice of discernment, ILF participants become a community of men and women working to repurpose their talents to make a difference while addressing both personal, familial, and societal needs and challenges. In a series of residencies and immersions at Jesuit universities and in online interactive sessions, the participants engage with one another, with scholars, with young people, and with leaders of Jesuit apostolic works who can inspire and awaken new sense of purpose and energy for continuing their own development and support the wise use of talents and skills development in their previous careers. So that's one of our first shots at what a mission statement will look like. That's our guest, John J. Fontana, reading the draft mission statement from the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program that's housed at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. You used a couple of words in that draft statement that I want to circle back to. First of all, this word accompaniment jumped out to me. Can you describe for me and my listeners what it means to say that accompaniment plays a major role in the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program? 
Yes. Well, then the, the, the Ignatian model is, is one of accompaniment, that this is not an education program where there's a teacher and a student. We are a group of people who are between 50 and 80 that traveled together for 25 months. But normally, if we do the program correctly, it's going to be a year-long program with a continuation in terms of Society of Ignatian Fellows that this first cohort is uh, in the process of creating. So the purpose that we're playing with at this point in time is, is our ability to track people who are in that group, that age group, who are interested in terms of intellectually curious, who are interested in finding out and looking at this new stage of life, because uh, what we're addressing is a transition time in people's lives. It's a new vocational moment. And the exercises and Ignatian discernment is made for vocational decisions. And it's not the decisions that, you, that the Jesuits make when they enter the society as Ignatius teed up. This is a new vocational moment, and we're appropriating the exercises and the ability to accompany others, people who are moving from the workplace into a different stage of life, or who are thinking about rewiring and be, doing work in different ways, both communally as well as in their professions. So it's a chance to walk together with, and, and it's learning through conversations, not through necessarily tons of input. So one of the things that differentiates the Ignatian Legacy Fellows programs from most of the senior fellows programs around the country at Harvard, Stanford, Notre Dame, is that their programs are educationally based. Ours is based on, in one sense, spirituality and the Jesuits on the move so that the people who participate see the global Jesuit network in a new and rich way by encountering the various leaders of the various apostolates that the Jesuits have in the places we visit, Chicago, Santa Clara, San Francisco, Lima, Peru, Georgetown, Boston College, and then Spain and Rome to complete the, the pilgrimage. And we're really utilizing that imagery of pilgrims. We are pilgrims together as we do this journey. And each group is going to be different and rich in terms of what they bring to the conversation about how are we looking together out at this next stage of life, having looked back at their own lives and processed that, taking the contemplative time to do that. One of the things that I stress about this program is this is a year-long contemplative process, not a doing program. One of the difficulties that we really saw in, in the first cohort, it's really tough to get particularly professionals and business people to uh, stop doing. <laughs> and contemplate the being questions, the deeper being questions in life. Let me take a moment quickly and reintroduce you just so that uh, listeners know who you are. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen, and I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with John J. Fontana. Now, he's been on the show before. We talked to him back in 2018 in our episode From Warriors to Elders. He's the co-director of the Ignatian Legacy Fellowship Program, which is housed at the Institute for Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. And we're just setting the stage about what the program is designed to do, and we're getting those pieces in place, and then we'll begin to talk about how the program has been running over the last two years. So let me circle back to something else that you just said. You said that there's learning through conversations going on here, and I, I think maybe my listeners might be a little caught off guard by that. What do you mean learning through conversations? I thought that learning happened through lectures, or if there were conversations, it was question and answer. What does it mean to say that you're learning through conversations with these cohorts at the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program? 
David, I think it means that we really honor the experience people are bringing to this year-long pilgrimage and that people have a perspective. And we resource the group in all sorts of different ways with all sorts of experts. But it's not a lecture model. It is really a conversation model that we're addressing because it's a conversation among equals in terms of experience. And in some cases, the people that have the experience are the fellows themselves who may have more experience than the people that are doing the ministries around the Jesuit system. So it's really about trying to establish conversations, questions, because fundamentally, I'm kind of a Thomas Merton guy. Merton always says, what you want to do is you want to live the questions. It's not so much the answers that are important. It's living the questions and see where they take us in relationship to where we're being called in life. So if I'm hearing you correctly, a participant in this program may find themselves at certain moments being the teacher, not just the learner. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I, I would not so much say teacher, but the, the person with experience and their experience speaks. And, and now we're talking about this in the experiential sense, because when we first talked about this program a couple of years ago, it was largely theoretical what was going to happen. Now you've begun to see this in action. And we'll get more into this as the program continues, but maybe give us a taste. What was it like to watch those moments when a participant spoke from their experience and was able to share with the other participants of the group in a teaching moment? David, what, what was really rich was seeing how insights get sparked. And to see where it goes. I was a great friend of uh, Father John Hoy, a Jesuit, who wrote a book about where is knowing going. And what I was watching over the course of our time together with the Ignatian Legacy Fellows was where their knowing was going and trying trying to track that and see what the themes were that kind of emerged from the group itself and how they interacted with the various people that we brought in front of them. And so, so let me just go back for a second and say that when we conceived this program, we saw it as a trident strategy. Trident is the old three-pronged pitchfork. And the trident was, first, we were going to focus in on the interiority question. How do we help people begin to look inward in order to be able to look outward? So it's the interiority question, which is what Ignatian spirituality is driven by. The second, and and in that interiority, we're trying to discover what we're hoping to help them discover what their deepest desires are for the rest of their lives. And in fact, we have them do a paper on that at the end as a project. And in that process, they're getting in touch with what the exercises are geared for, which is to put people in their freedom to make decisions. And people in the throes of a transition, a life transition, are making decisions. And part of the Jesuit genius on the in discernment process is it's it's about the slow thinking. If you if you follow the leadership literature, you know that the latest thinking today is fast thinking versus slow thinking. The Jesuits, in terms of discernment, kind of cultivated for 450 years the slow thinking process and how important it is to dis, to to discernment and deci- deep decision making, particularly around vocations. So it's not about quickly just doing it. It's about a discernment that takes into consideration not only what you desire and your gifts and talents. But maybe also that you're being called to something by a, a higher power. The second piece of the trident was forming a learning community. And that learning cohort, I think that was one of the real rich results of this movement through the pandemic. And that is that this group of 15 have coalesced in a way that, and these are people from around the country between the ages of 55 and now 80. And they came together in terms of a process 
that I think these folks are going to be lifelong friends. And I think they love each other, which is part of the what you want in a community. Then the third piece was their engagement with the various ministry leaders, presidents of universities, students who are looking at social entrepreneurship, working with the poor, working in the high schools at the Jesuit high schools and, and grade schools around the country to watch them engage with these folks and listen to what people are offering, as well as picking stuff up on what are the challenges of aging? What are the issues in terms of passing on the faith to next generations and living in relationship to, to intergenerationally as a key task of um, this later stage in life? And then finally, how do they look at the question of death and what's beyond? Well, let me take so, a moment and reintroduce you as we're going into break. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're happy to welcome back to the show John J. Fontana. He's the co-director of the Ignatian Legacy Fellowship Program, which is housed at the Institute for Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Longtime listeners will recall... Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with John J. Fontana. He's the co-director of the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program housed at the Institute for Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Longtime listeners will recall that we spoke to John back in 2018 in our episode From Warriors to Elders, where he was describing the thought behind the program, and they have just finished with their first cohort traveling internationally off and on during the pandemic over the past 25 months, and we're, we're talking about how the program actually worked on the ground. One of the things that you said at several points in our first segment was that the people who are going through the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program, they are in a period of discernment. And I want to make sure that's clear to my listeners. They're not necessarily figuring out whether or not they're supposed to become priests. You're talking about a different kind of discernment. So help us understand what you mean when you're using this term discernment. Yes. So we're doing two things there, David. One is we're saying that this is a vocational moment in terms of it's a transition time. And the purpose of the exercises is to put you in your freedom to be able to make choices about how you want to proceed in life. And all of us are making choices about where to retire, maybe what to do, issues around family. One of my constant examples is always there's a, there's a real difference between being a parent and a grandparent. You need different skill sets to do one versus the other. And on the grandparenting side, you need to learn a better deep listening skills um, because you can't talk as much. So it's those types of, of decisions that people are beginning to make about how they want to pursue the rest of their lives. It may be around philanthropy. It may be around volunteer work. It may be about their family. It may be about where they're going to live. All those decisions are popping up. And one of the questions is, maybe at this stage of life, the focus on how our religion 
And I don't care what religion it is. How is that religion helping us to integrate our lives, which is the definition, the Latin definition for religion? It's religio, to bind your life together. And I think with the distance of death shortening for all of us that are in this aging problem, the reality is that we ought to be thinking more about ultimate questions rather than just the proximate questions. And the people in this cohort have been successful. So they've answered a lot of the, the proximate questions. They probably put together a, a financial package that they understand so that they're free to do this program. And it's a contemplative program so that they're thinking about stuff. They're slowing down their th thinking and discovering the presence of God in their, in their life. And that has to, I, I think, developmentally, that has to change as you move through a tra transition. I think there's a religious development movement that is at play here in people's lives as they begin to move from warriors to elders. I think there's more of an invitation to become uh, theologically more of a mystic than a doer. So I think there's a lot of changes that are going on in relationship to meeting the challenges of aging and its horizon as we looked out into the future. I want to circle back to something that you just said, because you were mentioning that the method was designed to put people into their space of freedom where they would be at liberty to make these kind of deep life decisions about ultimate questions. The irony of that is that as you were launching this program to help to put people into their freedom, you were also having to deal with the fact that we were locking down and that travel, which was a fundamental part of this entire program that you had envisioned, was being taken off the table because of the pandemic. So I'd like in this section of the conversation to understand and have my listeners understand how you and the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program navigated the pandemic. You said that you were going to do it for 12 months as the first cohort. It ended up being 25 months. Walk us through some of the, the steps and rearrangements that you had to make in order to have this program work. Uh, David, that, this is a great question, and I just want to start with just an analogy. This group was like uh, Gilligan's Island. It was supposed to be a three-hour tour that had lasted um, for a long time. And I think that's some of the experience that this group had, is that they had the Gilligan Island experience of, we thought it was going to be 12 months, and it ended up being 25 from beginning to end. But at, at the heart of this, one of the things we're saying is that this program really is looks like it's about becoming um, a wisdom leader. And when you're a wisdom leader, it's about an, your ability to adapt to the changing issues that are going to affect you in your life, your own health, where you live, what's going on with your family, your work. There's, there's a lot of letting go that begins to happen at this stage of life. And so, so we were forced to adapt. And when you adapt, you want to reflect. And so we did a lot of reflection adaptation as we moved through this program. One, we discovered Zoom. Zoom wasn't part of the program, but Zoom held us together from March of 2019 until we picked up in, in May of 2021 at Georgetown. During that time, we met twice a month on Zoom for an hour and a half, and it allowed us to do small group work on Zoom as well as to do much more reading and conversation through Zoom that we didn't anticipate and which brought a, some, a greater richness to the program on one side. And now that will be included in our program going forward in terms of cohort number two. So it took some of the content we wanted them to do with the group and moved it onto Zoom and allowed us for more encounters with each other 
as well as with with people that we engaged in terms of the different ministries we encountered at each of the different sites. So am I hearing you correctly that this speed bump in the road actually ended up being a stronger program and you're going to incorporate some aspects of this speed bump in the road in future cohorts? David, that's the genius of a pilot program is you stay open to what's available and what changes need to be made. And the Zoom process keeps people connected. And and I think this first cohort, we survived a pandemic together for the first time since 1918. And this is a group of people around the country who met for three sessions in Chicago, Santa Clara, San Francisco, and Lima, Peru, and then sustained themselves through Zoom for over a year and was so anxious to meet in person and all those decisions, both to end, uh, to, to stop before we went to Boston College in March of 2020 and pick up at, at Georgetown in 2021, each of those was a communal discernment. What were people comfortable with? What did we understand? And part of the beauty of having a, a, a strong interdisciplinary group is one of the members of our group was a, a doctor from Stritch. And so he was on top of the medical issues. Several of the folks were lawyers, so they were in touch with what was going on in terms of the business issues. In the adaptation from working on this program, a subgroup developed right as the pandemic hit around what to do with their businesses in terms of applying for loans, government loans, etc. So we were engaged in a highly adaptive process. And I think that's really one of the things that is important to learn in relationship to being a wisdom leader is you're going to learn how to adapt and you don't have the control you might have had as a, a leader in an organization as you go through the aging process and learn how to let go. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with John J. Fontana. He's co-director of the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program housed at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Longtime listeners will recall that we spoke to John Fontana back in 2018 when he was first helping to launch the program. Now they've just finished having their first cohort, and we're discussing what that experience was like. Well, You've talked about the adaptability. You've talked about how you have learned from some of the obstacles. I'm wondering what it was like to go to these various places around the world. You've mentioned Peru and other areas where the fellows would travel. I know that you had expectations about what that experience would be like, but what was it like to actually do it in the midst of pandemic? Well, we got a terrific foundation at Loyola in Chicago because we were introduced to the four universal apostolic preferences which were not promulgated when we started this program or started thinking about the program. Those four universal apostolic preferences are the spirit, a focus on the spiritual exercises, a focus on our care for the, the planet, a focus on youth, and a focus on the marginalized. At, at Loyola, we really focused in on uh, youth in terms of the high schools and grade schools of the Jesuits ministries were focused on in Chicago. We focused on the, with Nancy Tuckman and her environmental school. We focused in on the health issue and the marginalized in relationship to the healthcare issue at uh, Stritch Medical School. And then we gave them a strong introduction to these spiritual exercises and Ignatian spirituality. And here's what was ironic. These, almost everyone in the group had some uh, identification with either Jesuit High School or Jesuit University. And all of them said, we didn't get all this stuff when we went through the Jesuit schools. 
I think the Jesuit schools, when this age cohort was going through school, were highly focused more on the educational process and getting people to think and uh, write critically and be prepared to take on professions. So it was focused on kind of the career orientation and wasn't as tuned to letting folks know what the genius of the Ignatian spirituality was. And um, Ignatius is genius in terms of how he formed a group of people 450 years ago into a company. And so I think what we've done is try to appropriate some of that in this program because it's an accompaniment program. It's about following the footsteps of Ignatius. It's about discernment and into this next stage of life. So I'd say that's really one of the real strengths of the program. And it's a beauty of the Jesuits is that they serve everybody. And so our second cohort, for example, we have about 10 or 11 people that, have, that are committing to the second cohort. We're looking for three or four more before we start up again. And what's interesting is we have three non-Catholics, evangelicals in the program, and they've been attracted to the Jesuit way of, of being. So we're looking to have a certain type of diversity in the group that brings a richness in terms of the, our ability to listen to others and to understand and appreciate the diversity of gifts. You've mentioned at a couple points this idea of the Ignatian spiritual exercises, and I think for some of my listeners, this would be a good time to just take a, a couple of sentences and, and describe what those are. What do you mean when you say the Ignatian spiritual exercises? Well, the spiritual exercises are, it's, were conceived by Ignatius in relationship to how he walked through his own conversion experience. And he took, by looking interiorly, on, at what was happening to him in his life and paying attention to his desires. And he codified it in the spiritual exercises, which was set up as a 30-day silent retreat for Jesuits. I, I did the 30-day silent retreat in 1972, January of 73. And it was just a powerful experience of interiority and through your own life on one side, but paralleling it with the life of Christ. And particularly for me, was focusing in on the, the human Jesus as he journeyed through the scriptures. And that 30-day silent retreat is at the heart of the Jesuit formation. We don't do the 30-day the, the retreat with this group. What we're beginning to do is help them do some of the reflections that come from the exercises as a way to say, all right, you're walking with us for a year in terms of contemplation. You may want to pursue the 19th annotation or a seven or eight day retreat. And there are these options out, out there, and we want to introduce you to people who have gone through them and who direct them. The same way we would introduce people who would like to do volunteer work and would make sure that they have encountered the Ignatian Volunteer Corps and things like uh, the Crystal Ray High Schools to do volunteer work at. So, so I'd say that's really what we're playing with with the exercises is that that's what Ignatius used to form people in relationship to making a decision about moving with the society. And I think we're asking this group of people to see what the society is doing to say, does it interest you? And if it does, how would you like to participate after the program? And we're seeing that our people are doing all sorts of interesting volunteer work um, at different sites in their local, in their locales around the country. So if I'm hearing you correctly, so this program is designed to help people to do interior work and to reach a kind of interior liberty about their transition from being a CEO or running a company into the next phase of life. 
but it's also designed to make sure that they're aware of the opportunities and the ways in which their new orientation towards service could be put to use in the world. Now, those are my words, not yours. When I say that, have I got the basic idea of what you're trying to do in the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program? David, a great description and concise. I love it. Well, so as this is working, do you ever get resistance from any of the participants? This isn't what I signed up for. I thought that I was going to be doing something else. Or is everybody who is on board on board, if you follow what I mean? You know, um, we had very little resistance. We lost one person halfway through the program around complexity of issues. One, he was a girls basketball coach, and there were a bunch of games that he would have missed if he took a trip with us. That was the only loss that we had in, in the, of this initial 16. The rest of the 15 people, there, there wasn't much resistance uh, around anything. What's interesting is that we, in, in each of these sites, there's a diversity of things that we do with them that I think keep people connected to things that they might be interested in. Even if one, one session they're not interested in, the next one they might be. And I think that was uh, complexity. There was some complexities of reason, but the rest of the 15 people have stuck with us. And uh, the reason is we put in front of them fascinating people. And even if you're not interested in the topic, the people are fascinating. And then the conversations that happen, not only with the leaders that they're, they're meeting, but also with the people in the cohort themselves, I think that holds a, a group together in, in, in really a tight way, as opposed to people making choice of liking it and not liking it. I, I think there was a fundamental openness to this group as pilgrims to journey with us together, because, you know, we were trying stuff out to say, what's going to stick? It's like, uh, it's the old, you know, linguine against the wall with this first group, what sticks? And uh, so we were curious about that. And boy, a lot of stuff stuck because of the strength of these places and the power of the group to ask questions and be curious. It was, again, it was just wonderful in terms of the, the people that were part of this group and how they responded to different types of situations. They weren't highly critical. They were open and, and helpful through the, this whole process. And, and the other piece is that we were all going through this together for the first time. So it wasn't like we're the teachers and the experts and you're the students going through this. We accompanied each other through this process and we're learning about each other and what their interests and needs were as people move through. So it's not a program that is canned and we're giving people. We're looking at who are the participants, what are their interests, and three lawyers. So we made sure when we were in Chicago that they met Mike Kaufman, who was the head of the dean of the law school. He's now the new dean of the law school in Santa Clara. We'll probably stop and see him in uh, Santa Clara when we start with the second cohort because he's really a terrific, a terrific guy. And it's going through a, he went, just went through a transition. So we're adapting the program to who the people are that are participants and what their interests are and making sure we're making those types of connections at the different uh, locales. So if you're a business person, maybe it's a conversation with the dean of the business school. If you're a lawyer, the, the law school, if you're a, a doc, uh, the medical school or a nursing school. So they're expanding their network by being part of this program. Let me take a moment and introduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're talking today with John J. Fontana. Longtime listeners will recall that we spoke to him back in 2018. He's talking to us about the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program, which he co-directs, which is housed at the Institute for Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. We'll be back in a moment.
Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of conversations and interviews, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with John J. Fontana. Longtime listeners will recall that we talked to him back in 2018 in our episode entitled From Warriors to Elders. John Fontana is the co-director of the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program housed at the Institute for Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Something that has been coming up in our conversation, you've been talking about having a heart for the marginalized and a real heart for the vulnerable. It strikes me that the people that are ideal candidates for the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program are people who have been at the top of their game. They have been CEOs. They've been the heads of companies. They've been people who are in charge and managing other people. They're not really people who, for most of their work lives have really been focused on the vulnerable and the marginalized. So what is that like watching these participants shift their perspective from the top of the organization to below the bottom of the organization? Yeah, David, one of the things that that we attracted is we attracted not only business people, but professionals, attorneys, one doc, an artist who was the, the videographer for Bill Moyers. And so we had an interdisciplinary mix. And in a lot of their different capacities, they were somehow connected with doing good some, in some capacity. So uh, we have a tendency to think about business people as focused primarily at, at the bottom line. But all kinds of businesses are giving to charity. They're um, asking their people to do volunteer work with Habitat for Humanity. I did consulting work with David's Bridal, and I was... The CEO had me working with City Year in terms of the public schools in Philadelphia. So business has always had somewhat that orientation. And I think that orientation has been built into people who've gone through Jesuit system. And so there was a real good spirit that was present within our group. And then their interests got percolated. One of our one of our participants, Bill Barrett, was the president, the retiring president of Crystal Ray Atlanta. And he built a school, was very successful there. And what was interesting at the end, I asked the group, how many people had either, uh, you know, written a check or done volunteer work with, with Crystal Ray and maybe two or three. And then I said, how many of you have done either written a check or done some volunteer work with Crystal Ray? Almost uh, three quarters of the, and that was the impact of Bill Garrett in terms of introducing Crystal Ray to uh, this group. So it's interesting to see how people begin to make connections because, uh, again, that, those are skill sets that business people and professionals have. You ended up traveling to many different cities around the world. And I imagine that you had a, a vision of what this was going to look like when you were first launching the program. Which of your experiences in these various cities was the most surprising for you? Which presented the most unexpected either learning or mystery when you got there? David, what was interesting for me is I had a real good grasp of what we wanted to do in the States at Georgetown, at Boston College, at Santa Clara, and at Loyola. But Michael Garanzini, Father Garanzini, former president of Loyola, who's now president of the Association of of, uh, Jesuit Colleges and Universities, is part of the team with Marianne and I and uh, Jim Briggs and Joe DeFeo. And he really said, let's do Lima, Peru, and took charge of that. And he did the same in terms of Spain and Rome. And he was just a godsend in terms of it. what it allowed me to do was to just participate. 
he had set stuff up at each of those places. And we really had a chance to see the richness of both Peru in terms of the parish in, in Lima that that works with, with the poor and the university that's working with students in, and particularly students who are poor in Peru. And then we followed that up with a, tri- a special trip to uh, the side trip to Machu Picchu, which really allowed people to engage a culture and see the richness of a culture that wasn't based on Western civilization. So it, it just it's a, it was fascinating on, on one side. And then Spain and Rome, I'd been to Rome. I'd, not, I'd been to Rome. I had not never been to Barcelona, Manresa, or Montserrat, though I had been to Loyola in, and uh, Bilbao at one point in time. And I'd been to Rome, but I hadn't done a heavy Jesuit influence. And it was absolutely uh, rich. One of the surprises at Manresa was if we had done the program and, and the way it was intended, we would have missed magnificent murals at Manresa in the Jesuit church there. An artist has put together mosaics based on the exercises in all the chapel, what used to be the chapels where the priests used to always say mass, the individual masses years ago. And it was just, it was awe-inspiring to watch what he did with these murals in these chapels and how they paralleled the exercises. So there were those types of surprises. Father Mark Bosco led us in, looked at the Baroque in relationship to the Jesuits and Reformation. Again, reflecting on another historic moment of change when the Jesuits were having an impact. And then the underlying question is, what type of impact do we want to have as we move into the future? And how do we want to support the mission and the society in relationship to it. And was the goal to get one answer to that question, how do you want to have an impact, or was the goal for every participant to find their own individual answer to that? The second, the goal is to have people in their freedom choose how they're going to do it. And because we have a diversity of people, we have a, there'll be diversity of responses, but they will have looked at how do you want to move forward in terms of your family? How do you want to move forward in terms of your, your community and, and your profession? And what do you want to become as you move into this aging process? It, this is really highly about what they want to accomplish themselves on one side, and then uh, a conversation about how does this cohort want to support each other as we move into the aging process? And, and just think about this in terms of the major issue, in, one of the major issues in um, aging is loneliness. Here's a group of people that uh, came together from around the country that, that I'm sure will pick up the phone or get on a plane if necessary for each other. And they're a diverse resource in terms of uh, if I had a legal problem, I have three lawyers now I could have a conversation with to say, yeah, here's what I'm going through. Any thoughts or reactions? That type of resource of a development over the course of a lifetime to create that type of continuity, I think is going to be a great gift to each other. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with John J. Fontana. He's the co-director of the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program housed at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Longtime listeners will recall that we talked to John Fontana back in 2018 in our episode entitled From Warriors to Elders. So I want to ask a meta question now. You've created this first cohort and you've talked about the relationships that are there and that you hope will linger after this program is done for them. 
but you're also mentioning in our conversation that you're putting together a new cohort and that you will have experiences with them moving forward that I'm sure you will hope keep in touch and, and stay in contact moving forward. But as you move from cohort to cohort, talk to me about the big picture. How will all of these different cohorts begin to interact with each other or will they? I mean, will there ever be a time when the first cohort and the third cohort and the seventh cohort are getting together on a group project? Like, what are the possibilities here for this network that you're talking about? We intend to do at least formally of the program, an annual summer event that brings the groups together. And then back to this whole theme that we started out as building a bridge as we walk on it. Now, the, the next phase of this program is as we solidify what the year program is, we're, we're now starting to build what will happen with the Ignatian Society of Fellows. And the founders of that are the, is the first group. So we're right now at that moment where we're beginning to talk about how often do they want to meet? What do they want to meet around? So I came home from Spain and Rome on October 30th. They've already had one Zoom call together and they have a second one scheduled for December 13th. So they're already taking initiative, which is really what we're hoping for in relationship to how do we sustain because really this is about sustainability. It's one of the issues in the care for our home. How do we sustain this type of missionary effort or mission-driven effort? So we'll see how that happens. And we, I'll, I'll be glad to come back a, a year later and tell you what's happened in the first year. But we will do some type of annual program. And it looks like they want to travel a little bit more and then do some Zooms. And we'll see how we integrate the second group. What's interesting, David, about this, the, the second cohort is we began meeting with the first eight people in January of 2020. So we've already been almost a year under our belt of the first eight to 10 people having met once a month on Zoom. And what we'll do is uh, hopefully with the, the next three or four people we move in, we'll try to update them quickly before we meet as a group in person in, in Santa Clara. You mentioned a moment ago that because of the delays and because of the way in which the travel that you had anticipated was accordioned out over the not just 12 months, but then 25 months, you talked about some ways in which that actually led to some very fortuitous moments. And you mentioned going and seeing this artwork at Manresa. And I'm wondering, as you're looking back now, the extent to which you see the role of the Holy Spirit playing a part in the delays and the rearrangements of your schedule. So what I'm getting from this, John Fontana, is that you're not thinking that the delays were a failure, but instead you seem to be viewing the delays as a net good for the program. But now I want to ask you to put on your spiritual or even your mystical hat. How is God's kingdom furthered by the delays that you encountered here? David, just you're so perceptive. For me, it's how do you stay in touch with the movement of God and people? And how do you stay in, in touch with the movement of God and groups? And I'll just say that this was probably one of the great experiences of my life, watching this occur and participating with it and paying attention to it. I'm a great believer in, in God as mystery. And, and the task of we lay people in some ways is to discover the, the mystery and how it's. And so that has really been a, a rich part of this. And, and I have all sorts of, I, I can cite and so can Mary Ann, my co-director, can cite all sorts of stuff that, that happened that's all about divine providence. So I, I think what we're, we're seeing is a real sense of a movement of the spirit within a group. 
And uh, I think that's what Jesus' genius was. And I think that's the genius that Ignatius saw and then emulated in relationship to the starting up of the Society of Jesus. He saw people who had generosity of heart and energy to move, and they built the largest educational system in the world, and it's still in existence. And it needs the support of, of lady around the world. And we wanted to at least showcase that and in terms of all the places that we went. So I imagine that some listeners who are paying attention to this point in the conversation are intrigued and maybe they want to figure out how they can get involved and what kind of time commitment we're talking about and what really will be their experience of all this. So let me ask some brass tax questions before we, we finish with this conversation. So how young or old does a person have to be to be involved in the Ignatian Legacy Fellows? And is there any sort of requirement in terms of life experience that they need before they enroll in the program? Yeah, we're looking for people between 50 and 80 that are thinking about retirement, moving to retirement, or are in retirement and saying, ah, I'd like a different experience. And I'd like some time to think about this with a group of other people. So I'm not going through this retirement process alone. And I think that camaraderie is uh, such such an important gift that was a real fruit of this, maybe the most important fruit of the program. And so a person who is thinking about retirement but has not necessarily yet retired but is trying to build those bridges moving forward, and do they need to have had a certain type of life experience? Do you only want to work with uh, professionals and executives, or how wide is the net that you're casting? I think it's a pretty wide net of people who um, have experienced success and, and have the financial wherewithal to participate in the program. And our, you know, our price tag is $50,000 plus they get to pick up their own travel. And we're uh, looking at scholarships. We've had some scholarships already so that we're attracting people from the not-for-profit world as well as the for-profit world and bringing a richness to the group. The uh, amount of time, the time commitment is fundamentally seven weeks out of the course of a year. Each of the experiences at the American universities are from Monday to Friday. They, they arrive on Monday, they can leave by Friday, usually around noon. And in Spain and Lima, Peru is usually 10 days. And Spain and Rome is really, is 12, was 12 days. So that's the time commitment. And if you can make that time commitment in the, in, particularly as you're thinking about retirement and maybe beginning to, if you're in a leadership role, you're trying to mentor somebody, maybe that seven weeks away would be a really good thing for the people you're mentoring. That's the time commitment. And, and probably now, probably at least uh, once a month, an hour and a half Zoom session will be part of the program going forward. And for anybody that maybe is on the fence and they're thinking, well, maybe, but I, I'm not sure, give us your quick elevator pitch. Like, how can you pitch the benefits of this program for someone who may be hesitant but interested? Uh, I think they need to engage us in a conversation. And again, I'm an old sales person, so I, I'm not going to oversell this. The person's got to fit and be interested. But what I invite is just conversation so that I get a chance to listen to their story and what their needs and desires are and to see if it's a match. If, if it's not, there are other programs uh, that now I'm becoming very attuned to in terms of the Jesuit network. And the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program is now part of a consortium of encore education programs that was founded by a Stanford, Harvard, Notre Dame, University of Texas, University of Minnesota. 
to look at, and, and they're all residential programs. So I, I've had a chance to see what's happening with this age group. And I, it seems to me that we're dealing with a number of different things. We live in a throwaway society. And one of the experiences I've had of, of teaching in the lay ministry training program over the last 30 years up in Saginaw, Michigan, is the kind of commentary of people who are in retirement and doing a, a lay ministry training program is that people feel abandoned by the church in terms of this age group. And it seems to me that this age group of particularly baby boomers, in terms of retirement, have time on their hands to dedicate themselves to passing on the faith and to do it with love and with a sense of hope because they have um, found in themselves and in the mystery of God the joy that life brings. Well, John Fontana, it was a delight to talk to you a couple of years ago when you were first launching this program. I know that it has been a rough 25 months since we last talked, but I'm delighted to hear of all of the successes that you have encountered in the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program. I wish you great success with the next cohort, both with recruiting them and hopefully a smoother travel schedule with less pandemic interruptions. I'm so grateful that you have taken the time to launch this program and to help get it rolling and off the ground. I'm looking forward to what comes from it, but I'm especially grateful that you took the time to talk with us about it today. David, you're a delightful interviewer, and uh, this has really been a privilege for me to do some theological reflection around what the experience was for me over this last 25 months, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. We've been speaking today with John J. Fontana. He's co-director of the Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program, housed at the Institute for Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Longtime listeners will recall that we spoke to John Fontana back in 2018 in our episode From Warriors to Elders. And you can find that on our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.